0: Welcome to Thinking Like a Region. I'm Dr. Lisa Donovan, a professor at Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. Our podcast explores the direct connections between arts learning and workforce skills through stories from some of the most interesting voices in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. The Berkshires are a culture rich area home to world-class arts and cultural institutions where the skills that the arts naturally cultivate are always on display. By making the value of these skills visible, we can advance the importance of the arts while we think like a region. Come, think with us.
1: Hi, welcome to Thinking Like a Region. My name is Wendy Lyons, and today I'll be speaking with Talia Kingston the Assistant Artistic Director at WHAM, where art meets. Talia, what is your role at WHAM? So
0: my role at WAM is the I'm the Associate Artistic Director, which basically means that I work on choosing the plays that we produce, casting the plays that we produce, and speaking about them publicly in press releases and that kind of thing. And then I also am the main contact with playwrights. I do also do a lot of community engagement, so I'm also a teaching artist and I help organize and facilitate all our workshops, and community conversations, and classes, and our devised theatre ensembles.
1: What has changed since you've taken this
0: role? I started at WAM at the beginning of a big period of growth for the company. The company's only 13 years old. So what I started five years ago, it was eight years old. And it had been the vision of two co-founders and they, including my producing artistic director, Kristen Van Ginhoven, and they had the vision of putting on a production that centered women and girls and giving away a portion, connecting it to an actual grassroots organization and giving away a portion of the box office to that organization. So really connecting the art with activism and with generating money. And we were just beginning to have the resources to be able to expand that vision. The ensemble program that I talked about earlier with the teenagers, we also do it with elders, with women over 65, and we have a people of color ensemble, and we've done it with other populations as well. That was really the brainchild of two teaching artists before I arrived, but I, so I inherited it and just ran with it. So I inherited some really great ideas, but I've been lucky as well because it was a period of growth, so we were able to expand on those ideas. With nonprofit theater, it's always about bringing the money in to be able to have, there's no shortage of great ideas ideas you have to be able to cover them with grants so there's a lot of grant writing involved in my job as well and yeah I'm proud of a lot of things we've expanded a lot of things and we've also throughout my time there started linking our work more with anti-racism with other sort of areas of activism so that it's not just women and girls issue living in a bubble. It's all these issues intersecting. But yeah, and of course COVID was a hard time to work in the theatre so even though we're in an expanded period of growth, honestly through COVID we were really lucky just to tread water. We were able to get through COVID without letting go of anybody and with creating opportunities for actors. We did our productions online but it was a huge pivot and so there was a flat time where it's just like, okay, let's just get through this.
1: Were you involved in the
0: arts when you were younger? Yeah, I've always been involved in the arts. I got drawn. I was lucky that I had a great theatre programme at my high school so I was drawn into it very early on I've never been an actor though I get stage fright (laughs) so which I think is a bit of my saving grace because it's a hard life being an actor but I pretty much do everything else and so I've been able to patch together a career, but never been like pushed, I need to not do that administration stuff because I really want to be on stage. I was first put into the stage management role, which is a great way to learn about the theater because you have to be able to communicate with all the different branches of what's putting in on the production. And I was trained in that initially, and I was also lucky that I was born into a family where my mother and my grandmother took me regularly to art events, and in a country that had government subsidy for the arts, so I had a lot of opportunities.
1: And so what school d-
0: schools did you attend in? I grew up in the north of England, so I, I, I attended school there. And I also was part of the National Youth Theatre, which is a a national organization that trains young people in theatre. It's connected to the National Theatre. And then I actually went to university for history, but also was working in theatre at the same time, during the breaks. And then I moved to the US to take up an internship, a couple of internships in theatre just kept working through that from there
1: what schools comes to your workshops
0: our workshops are actually we have these device theater ensembles that happen during our during the school breaks so this april break for example we have i believe nine teenagers 13 to 18 year olds coming from all over the berkshires and they're all coming from different schools so they come and they work with us for a full week and we pay them and we together we're creating original work that's based on activist themes because Guam Theatre operates at the intersection of arts and activism so we tend to draw from lots of different schools. As far as coming to our shows we have a great relationship with the Pittsfield public school system we have a lot of other schools in the area who come from South County and North County. We perform in lots of different theatres around the Berkshires so depending on where we're performing we often attract the local schools because our performances tend to be activists and tend to have more like adult themes We also tend to attract
1: college students to our performances. So what is your some of your fondest memories since you started doing this around the schools coming in and being a part of the workshops?
0: Oh, wow, that's a hard question. The first memory that came to my head is we did a play called Pipeline by Dominique Morisot, which is about the school to prison pipeline. And we did Mm. this in, I think, 2019. Everything's a bit of a blur since the pandemic, and this is a school, this is a performance where the entire, almost the entire ensemble are black actors, and it's telling a truth about the particular fears of black mothers towards the safety of their teenage sons in America today, but it also tells the story of of two teenagers who are in the school at the time and in the school system and their relationship. And we had one matinee performance. We we did this play in collaboration with Multicultural Bridge, our sister social justice organization that works on anti-racism in particular. Mm-hmm. There was a matinee performance where almost all the students in the theater were students of color, which is not unusual in other parts of this country, but in the Berkshires, is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the sense that that play was well received by all audiences across the board, but the power of that performance really, it, it was mind blowing. There was a conversation happening between the audience and the and the actors on stage that was visceral. And a lot of the students spoke afterwards about it, it being the first time that they saw their stories and, and people like them represented on stage. And the actors stayed afterwards and initiated conversations with the audience because they had felt it too on their side it was really powerful that performance we also did workshops and we had study guides and other things relating to that play that were helpful in integrating the play into the curriculum but it was actually the actually being live in the space where a story is being performed for you is just such a unique experience that was the most powerful memory that like hit me when you ask the question and also uh, the show we did last year Kamalupa, which is an indigenous performance where it was all indigenous Native American company and then also from lots of different tribal nations and then also a lot of the backstage people also had connections to indigenous communities Mm. and First of all, they taught us a lot about indigenous practices of storytelling Mm -hmm. and made us question in a very healthy way the sort of common practices that working with in terms of how long our rehearsals are and how, how much agency artists have in the whole process. But then also there was just practices of how they invite audience into the storytelling that just opened our eyes and the audience's eyes too, I think. It was a play that's unexpected, not just in its storytelling, but in how it was presented. We seek out stories for comfort. We we often automatically will go to stories that are inhabited by people who look and sound and, and act like us. So to give people stories of other communities that they can relate to is a really powerful form of activism because it builds bridges. So yeah, we often hear from our audience members about that part of our work and how they're seeing things or hearing stories or getting to know playwrights or artists that they wouldn't know about otherwise through our work. I, I will say the other part of our mission, was trying to be more of an anti-racist organization, but our main part of our mission is really about centering the stories of women and girls. And so in connecting that with anti-racism,
1: we've become more intersectional, which feels like a better match for our activism. So do you feel like there are other subjects you want to breach? Is there something that you feel like you haven't been able to do enough of, always. There's so much in the world that we know.
0: Play reading that we're doing this season, which is actually going up May 1st, so in little less than a month, in the Berkshire Athenaeum is about climate change, and we haven't really talked about that really before. We're such a small theater company, we do one or two full productions and about three to five stage readings in our season. And, and our mission is activism and women's stories, and the breadth of that is dazzling in terms of what's possible. So there's always things that we can't touch on in a season, but we really what we try and do is make sure that we're showing complex stories of women that are good stories that people are going to be drawn into, and then hopefully it will fuel their activism. There's many stories, obviously, about women and climate change, but the particular one that we're telling is by a playwright called Amy Berryman. And it's a science fiction play that's set in the near future, she says, so in a world that looks very much like ours, but is like a step forward, so it allows her to stretch what's happening and, and... push us to look forward and the play in the play there are three female scientists who are at the top of their field in soil science and marine science mm-hmm. and they've been locked up for their stance on climate change and they're being asked to falsify data mm-hmm. so the play asks the moral question how important is it to tell the truth and what are you how far are you willing to go to make sure that's possible
1: that's nice to keep growing i think so was that a challenging period, trying to take your live performances onto to? hugely challenging, yes. With the exception of one person in our team,
0: we're not people with backgrounds in film. So we had to collaborate with a local film company to be able to get our work to a level that people could watch it and really feel like they were connected to it. but it was also a time of incredible experimentation that I don't think we would have done I know we wouldn't have done otherwise in in accessibility we had people watching our shows from all over the world we had we were able to provide closed captioning mm. we were able to provide different levels of ticket prices and these are things that we're trying to carry on as we move forward. But yeah it was hard it was really hard and I know that I'm just
1: desperately hungry for live
0: performance
1: now as a, as a theater goer I can remember my local theater trying to find ways to get people in. We had stories from beyond the grave, mm-hmm. and so that was where you went to the grave and the actors acted outside and talked about these different characters. And so, did you? Were you able to do any of the, anything outside? We I'm to think.
0: We didn't do anything outside. We did we did a lot of online stuff and then as soon as we were able we did some live performance. But we don't own our own space and we um we just decided that we were gonna fully invest in the online performances. But I know that people I know there were theatre companies all over the country doing
1: really innovative stuff outdoors as well. I think we're afraid of the weather, quite honestly. So do you have people that you didn't normally have come people that were willing? to watch on zoom that was watching wouldn't come to your theater absolutely
0: totally new audiences yeah across the world like i say so geographically different it meant that people didn't have to i mean even in the berkshire's transportation is an issue obviously so it it meant that people could just tune in and they didn't have to get babysitters they didn't have to get caregivers for elderly folks they didn't have to get transportation they could just tune in from their homes so that was great And then also just it helps accessibility for um, people with disabilities for, like I said, we have closed captioning. So yeah, we really did expand. We were also able to start conversations with other theater companies across the country who were doing similar things. So I was able to attend performances regularly in California and in Chicago and because I was just from my home so it was really amazing that way and we connected with artists we had people in our shows we had we could cast actors who lived in Chicago and Ohio and California at one point we had a performance where the director was in LA one of the actors was in Ohio one of the actors was in New York and they were just they were rehearsing on zoom and then they performed on zoom and then we edited it in-house here in the Berkshire so it was just that sort of innovation and experimentation was amazing and the connections that were made during that time and those were just the questioning of the power dynamics within theater that was being done at the time was really valuable and we're trying to make sure that we're integrated we don't just go back to business as usual because there's a lot that happened there that was really important in
1: an audience is that you can keep because you're able to go to do both maybe
0: yeah hopefully we're finding it's going to be interesting this season we're finding that people are less and less inclined to watch online even if they say they're going to they it feels like at the beginning people were so hungry and they were so isolated. They were hungry for any sort of connection. So people would tune into to readings in huge numbers. And I'm not sure that we're there anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Our first show for example is going to be live and it's also going to be streamed live. So we'll still have that feeling of being there even if you're watching it from your home but we're still
1: finding that the majority of ticket sales are for the live in person. That's nice. Is there a play or script that you'd love to bring to, to Wham that you have not already? Oh so many. I read scripts for a
0: living so I have piled, I'm not going to show you my messy office but I have piled of scripts all the time. I have favorite playwrights, I have yeah I read all the time and there's no shortage of great work happening in this country and being written in this country the good thing is The easier thing for Wham! is that we have very specific parameters about the work that we're producing. And it helps me to filter, because otherwise it would be overwhelming, the amount of scripts. But yes, there's a a million... I'm very happy, I have to say I'm very happy with the season that we've come up with. But there were plays, as we were reading for the season, that we fell in love with and then weren't able to get the rights because somebody else had them at the same time. So it's a complicated dance. But yeah, the season, I'm really excited about. They're very different plays and they're
1: all very well written. What does your season look like? How many shows do you have in a season?
0: So this season, every year is a little bit different. This season we are doing three play readings. We bring in professional directors and and actors and this year they're all local people in the area so it's really great to be putting our professional artists back to work again after mm-hmm. the pandemic so we have three readings and then we have a cabaret performance this summer and then we have a full production in the fall that we're going to be doing and they're all for this year we're traveling around the Berkshire. so our first performance is in Pittsfield at Berkshire Museum our second performance is at Mass Mocha in North Adams our third is a cabaret that's at the Mahawi in Great Barrington. fourth is at the Mount in Lennox, mm-hmm. And then our fifth is also in Lennox, but it's at the Shakespeare and Company's Tina Packer Playhouse. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be able to engage with different, co- with different communities as we move around this, the area.
1: So what age do you
0: believe that children should become involved in the theatre? I believe we should expose children to theatre at a young age. I think there are people doing theatre for children at, as young as pre-verbal toddlers and young kids, there has to be a very specialist theater for that, to be able to engage, they're often very sensory experiences, but certainly in elementary school, we can engage students at that age, WAM doesn't go to that level, but other companies do, and do it very well, and I think it's just about engaging the imagination at that age, it's about allowing them to have, because there's obviously great other mediums as well, and film and television, that children are exposed to screens a lot, but they can't Talk with the actor in TV and film. They can't influence the story. They can't feel like they're inside the story in the same way. So, theatre allows them to, for that young age group, I believe it allows you to say, Look, I'm going to tell you a story and then you tell me one. You can do this. I'm just a person who's acting out a story. You can totally do this. And it's so natural to them at that age because it's play. It's literally play, and then as they get older, you get there's there's other sides of theatre that you can expose them to. I always believed in high school that it's a phenomenal, a middle school too. It's a phenomenal activity because it's one of the few non-competitive teams activities that you can do. There's obviously sports is very important too, but that's got a competitive edge to it, and there's very specific and specific skill sets are from specific body types that are attractive to certain sports. But with theater there's a place for everybody if you want to because you think about that there's somebody who is running the lights and who has to design the lights which takes a very mathematical brain to do as well as an artistic brain. There's somebody who's making the costumes. There's somebody who's like I was as a stage manager backstage helping to organize everything. There's somebody who's on stage. There's, There's all these different people and we have to work together otherwise the whole thing collapses. Mm-hmm. We can't com- if we com- if we compete with each other, it won't work. So that is it's so vitally important because that's what most work settings are like. We have to take any any work environment. There's people with different skill sets who have to work together and build a team. And I think theatre teaches that skill in such a visceral way. And it's such a high to be able to like create something from nothing. You can literally see what you're building together, but it's ephemeral. It ha- you have to be there to experience it; otherwise, it's gone. And there's just so many lessons that that teaches you do you feel like it teaches them confidence and so oh for sure Branching into other things for sure and public speaking if it's done well i've also seen bad theater teaching work and that can be quashed mm-hmm. but but hopefully yes it's a public speaking and confidence it can teach you i think what i learned more than anything was it could teach you the importance of audience and how you speak in in like how I'm speaking to you one-to-one might be different if if I was having this conversation in, in, in a big auditorium full of people. Mm-hmm. Just how I use my voice would be different, but also the message might be different versus how I talk to my daughter when I'm going to pick her up from school soon. That's going to be different. We have different voices, but so there's a lot of transferable skills. Yes, confidence, public speaking, hopefully interpersonal dynamics because you can learn through the characters in a play and you can rehearse things that you may then have to do in real life yeah yeah that's good so how did you come to this role what were you doing before immediately prior to WHAM I was doing a lot of academic theater I, I was a professor at a college in western Massachusetts an activist college Hampshire college where I was teaching theater I was teaching dramaturgy and dramatic writing and dramatic history, theatre history. I'm working with a lot of students who are using art in service of social change. So that was what I was doing immediately prior. But I've just, I basically jumped from position to position. It always has to do with theatre in education in some way. I always have that kind of bent, and theatre for social change is something that I do a lot of. I also write my, I write plays too. What plays have you written? I write, I've I've written one, I've written a lot of different plays. I've written a a play that was for for middle school age children. I've written a couple of plays that had to do, my latest play has to do with immigration. And so it's a story about some people trapped in the immigration system, basically. And so do you follow the complete story of them coming over the border? It's called Port of Entry, and it takes place in the back office of a New England International Airport on the day that the Muslim ban comes into effect, Trump's Muslim ban. And it follows three characters, a young woman who it's her first week on the job as a TSA agent, a more experienced TSA agent, and a Muslim graduate student whose visa was fine when she left Jordan, but then as she arrived, that her status has shifted or was being challenged anyway. It wasn't because she was from Jordan. but And so it's a play that hopefully asks questions about
1: gatekeeping. I'm still developing it right now. That's good. Do you take any inspirations from the artists around you?
0: Oh, yes. Theatre is a collaborative art. You really can't do it by yourself. I can write a play by myself in my room, but we're always taking inspiration, obviously. I'm always inspired by the plays I'm reading or the voices I'm hearing or the actors. I sometimes have an actor in my head when I'm writing, but I'm writing for collaboration. I'm writing for a scenic designer to get excited about the scene description that I've written and have their own ideas or an actor to put their own spin on the character. You can't do theatre on your own. Even if you did a solo show completely on your own, you would need somebody to watch you. (laughs) So it's a collaboration constantly. And yeah, I I keep thinking about, whenever I think about leaving theatre because there's a pandemic and all the theatres have closed down or I could make more money doing something else, I, I get drawn back in because it's just continually inspiring to me. The idea of telling stories live is so incredibly inspiring to me and the people that I get to be in rooms with
1: creating those stories. What has been your least memorable moment doing your job?
0: Frustration with funding issues. What we do when we work in non-profit theatre is we're constantly trying to scrape together enough money to create at the level that we want to create. So there's a frustration in that and also to do it in an ethically responsible way. So not asking people to work for less money than they should be working for not trying to work them too many hours where they're not so we're always trying to create in an ethically responsible way and giving as much resource and putting people to work artists to work but to do it and to do it well to do it a high standard so when those resources fall for some reason either the that we don't we don't get a grant that we're expecting to get or we then you have to make some really difficult decisions about how uh, well do we even have the resources to be able to do this at the level that we want to do it at and that can be ex- incredibly frustrating and hard for everybody i think that's the hardest thing the hardest thing is never having enough resources to be able to do everything that we want to do and everything that we know that would be beneficial i think this is a frustration that i share with all my colleagues in the berkshire region but this frustrating the lack of public transportation in the Berkshires means that we can have a classroom of kids that really want to come but can't get to the theatre. That can be frustrating and hard. Or people who've booked but then the bus doesn't show up, and then we have a half-empty theatre. And so, there's frustrations like that that have to do with resources. I'm incredibly lucky to work with a brilliant team of theatre artists. The comfort is that we grapple with this together and we work through it together.
1: So now that you have this other medium that you can utilize. Do you think that you'll be able to incorporate it more because you know that you have this audience that wants to come to your show, but they can't because of transportation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We definitely will incorporate more. We're doing, like I said, I talked before about the live streaming that we're doing. So we're going to try and incorporate that and just see how many people really do tune in. We're also doing a series of conversations. It's called the Spotlight Series. It's a new series where we're going to interview people a bit like you're doing now over Zoom and edit it together and put it out so that our audiences can hear from the playwright, the director of other people who are working on the show. We might have done before, but we feel a lot more competent doing it because of the practices, and we'll have closed captioning and all these things. Yeah, we'll definitely do it in that regard. I personally am not super excited at this moment about doing another online production, because I think that our skill set really lies in the live theatre medium. And there are other people who do films a lot better than we do. We don't necessarily have the funding sources, the equipment, the infrastructure to be able to do it at that level. But I know there are other theatre companies that feel very differently and have gone in a really gone full throttle towards online. They're going to keep doing it. And who knows? Never say never. And we do have at least one person on our team who who does have a film background and has been tremendously helpful through this entire process. Well, I think we covered a lot today. I enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed talking to you too. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you. Thinking Like a Region is a production of the C4 Initiative, Berkshire County's creative compact for collaborative and collective impact based at Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts in North Adams and grant funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. This podcast is produced by Lisa Donovan and Leslie Applegate. The music you're hearing now is by Poddington Bear and at the beginning of the podcast by Purple Planet. For more information about the show or the C4 initiative, visit brainworks.mcla.edu slash C4.